Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb. And um, we're here to talk about the 2022 general election um, with Joe Mackey, wonderful, wonderful Joe Mackey, um, from uh, the Congressional District 4, he's the new Congressional District 4 chair for the Democratic Party, uh, and ran for Congress in 2020 uh, for the 4th Congressional District, and, um, and as he likes to say, a lifelong Hoosier Democrat. So, and I'm just, I'm so grateful for you joining me, Joe. We've had some great conversations about um, democratic politics in Indiana. And, um, and you know, we need your uh, insight more than ever after that election. So, um, so we know what happened, right? We know that um, it was, you know, pretty much a bloodbath for Democrats all over the state. Um, and we, we know this other weird thing that Indiana was a complete anomaly uh, among other states in the country who elected many Democrats, who uh, did not elect um, uh, uh, election deniers. Uh, I, I could, and, I, and for some reason, Indiana just became completely invisible um, in, right. in my mind uh, in these elections. And I was even struck by hearing an NPR uh, radio broadcast where they were talking with an expert on gerrymandering and all this, and they were talking about it. And they people called in, and one woman called in and said, I, you know, I'm from Indiana, and I don't ever hear anyone talking about Indiana. Why is that? Right. And so the woman asks, you know, the expert, well, you know, what's going on about Indiana? And he says, oh, Indiana, yeah, one, one of the most gerrymandered states in the country. He says they, they even lost a congressional seat this year. Right. And I was like, we are so invisible that the experts don't even know that we didn't lose. <laughs> right. right. Well, you know, it's really shocking. And so Indiana just seems so isolated from the rest of the country. So, of, you know, tell us what happened, Joe. But if I might, I, I, I you know, uh, Hoosier Democrats are famous for sending their political dollars out of state. We fund races in Kentucky and in Maine in Georgia, in Arizona, uh, in Texas. We fund races all over the country. We send our money to Democratic organizations around the country, and it goes elsewhere. And our candidates starve financially. We don't raise money. I have this story. Um, I had a, a gentleman here in Lafayette, my hometown, good Democrat, always voted, never missed a cycle was telling me that every time Mitch McConnell made him angry, he sent Amy McGrath another $10. And while I got his vote, I never got $10. And this is this is where I think a big part of the problem is, is uh, Hoosier Democrats, we sent, I think in 2020, we sent $8 million out of state. $8 million? A, $8 million. million, okay. $8, $8 million. And as a result... We all suffered because now those local candidates here, pardon me, are all competing in the same uh, money pool. So we are trying to fund every race because we're sending our money elsewhere. It doesn't come back. Um, uh, and this is a, a story that is repeated over and over by candidates that run at the federal level. We watch the DNC completely ignore Tom McDermott completely ignore him. But it's it wasn't just McDermott. Um, Tim Ryan over here in Ohio should have won that race. 
and was completely ignored by the, the DNC, the National Democrats. And I think this is a problem. We fund everyone else and none of that money's coming back. And, and it has become my mantra. Spend local. Spend your political dollars locally. If Mitch McConnell makes you angry, send one of your local Democrats 10 bucks. It's that simple. We're the ones that are living under the yoke of a radicalized right-wing government. And no one is spending hundreds of millions of dollars here uh, like they do in Georgia, like they do in Florida. And, and, and as a result, we suffer. We pay uh, everyone else and we suffer. And the hope, you know, I, I just, it's mind boggling to me. Uh, we're inundated with emails every day from nationalized campaigns across the country and almost no emails from our own candidates because they're, th those, those wealthy candidates from out of state, they're buying us. They're buying our contact information from the DNC or whomever it is. And uh, we struggle with that. So that's a big, that's a big problem on the financial and funding campaigns. That's one, one problem, Deb. Uh, secondly is this, um, we have here in the district uh, what four or five what I call functioning parties and everyone else is trying to hold their own uh, because we we live in a state where uh, candidates for Republican candidates, conservative candidates for school board are receiving more money from outside organizations. They're raising more money than our state candidates are raising to be on a school board. So, you know, outside money on the Republican side comes in. Uh, we don't get any of it. Our money goes out. That's, a, that's the financial imbalance in a nutshell. Um, presence, we must develop a presence. Um, and I've had Republicans in the rural areas tell me this. I don't hate Democrats. I've just never met one. And that's a real problem when you're claiming to speak for the people of Indiana. Our district is 60% rural. And we lack the kind of presence that we should have. So that's the second problem is how do we engage? How do we support our Democrats in these rural counties? Uh, because they obviously need it. And we tend to just not focus. And I've had a number of, of chairs of rural counties here. Well, all of them have told me our state party doesn't really engage with us. And they're feeling more and more isolated. And as a result of that isolation, they are not able to field candidates. Pardon me. I go into the rural counties and, and I meet a Democratic candidate. The first question they want to ask is, is there any state money available for us? And the answer is always, well, no, sorry. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's compounding itself. Um so we have that. Uh, the Democratic Party is uh, not as homogeneously oriented as, say, the Republicans. So our federal candidates here are constantly in a state of coalition building. And this brings us back to the straight party ticket. Republicans, they don't care. They go into the booth. If it's an R, they vote for them and they go home and say, I've done my duty. Democrats are far more discerning, I think. And, and if you isolate this particular group, you're not going to get their vote. Uh, so that's a problem. Um, 
I think, you know, when it comes to the midterms and low turnout, this is where we damage ourselves the most. We tend to become focused uh, on the, the bigger election cycles, the, the presidential election cycles, and we skip the midterms. And I think part of the, the answer to resolving all of this is Hoosier Democrats should be focused on the midterms. That's where we can be at our strongest. A 60% turnout among Democrats in the midterms will put a lot of Democrats in office up and down the electable ladder, and we uh, have failed to do that. Um, and may get us some statewide candidates success. Correct. Absolutely. And that that's, I mean, that's where the races we need. Uh, we need the state reps, the state Senate. Uh, but we also need county council seats, county commissioner seats, you know, township trustees and boards. There's just a number of offices. County clerks. County clerk offices are so important, and the Democrat, the Republicans have done, a, a, in my opinion, a very good job of getting Republicans elected to those offices. Um, so, you know, part of the engagement process I'm talking about is actually understanding what's going on in our rural communities that we should be addressing. Um, and that means staying out there like State Senator uh, Ford and engaging. Go out and talk to the volunteer fire departments in the rural areas. I've had fire chiefs tell me we are understaffed, underpaid, and under-equipped. I had one fire chief out in the rural area, God love him, tell me I staff my firehouse with 70-year-olds during the day, and when I'm at work, I pray to God nothing bad happens. Jeez. So this is, this, is, this is first responders in the rural areas. And secondly, you know, look at the issues out there that we should be talking about every day in the rural communities. And this is this strikes close to my heart. Our infant mortality rates and our maternal mortality rates in the rural areas are through the roof, among the worst in the country. A rural woman in Indiana stands less of a chance of successfully delivering a birth than a woman in Paraguay. That's right. This is a real problem to me. This is tragic. And these women and children, they are dying of treatable illnesses, but there's no access. They have no access to prenatal care, postpartum care, pediatric care. And what happens is by the time they are determined to be a, a sick, they're very sick. Mm -hmm. and, and our state boasts billions of dollars in, uh, you know, surplus. Right, right. And what are they doing with it? They want to give business another tax break. Right. But but we know there are answers. I, I'm watching uh, right now following the state of Nevada, who has started a mobile health care uh, program to reach rural communities, heart care, uh, prenatal care, uh, you know, gestational care. You know, uh, they're putting these mobile vans out there, RVs that are set up to be mobile offices and they're going out into the rural communities. We do it here in Lafayette. It's being done here, actually. Um, Matrix uh, Life Care, uh, a local Christian organization, uh, does uh, 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 women's care, women's health care. They have uh, uh, spent a million dollars to create uh, a converted I, I, uh, RV. It mm -hmm. is um, a gynecological office on wheels, and they staff it with a doctor and with nurses, uh, and they go out into the rural areas, and they tell me, it doesn't matter where we go. We advertise, you know, in advance. We're going to be here for these hours. 
And when we go, there's always a line of women waiting to see us. And okay. some of them are in their late 20s and have never had a gynecological exam. Yeah. Many of them are in well into their pregnancies and are not in a prenatal care program. This is what we're up against. And this is what Democrats right. need to be talking about right. is, OK, do we need six billion in, in surplus? Does business need another tax break or do our damn women and children here in Indiana need some damn health care? It's that simple. And these guys better wake up and understand that that clock is ticking. Yeah. So on that point, I will say, you know, Indiana did um, commission a, a maternal mortality um, study and published yep. a report in 21. And right. the findings were just, you know, gobsmacking. Um, Correct. 80% or more of the deaths associated with pregnancy were found to be preventable. I Correct. mean, just the crazy, you know, the crazy statistics and the recommendations. They made very good recommendations. You know, much of them, things that you're talking about, expanding um, maternal health resources into urban or rural areas. Um, as well as, you know, doing something to help women with child care. Oh, and as to Nevada, I will say that Nevada was, um, I think, the first state uh, in 2020 to elect a majority female uh, state legislator. Well, and, you know, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I'm all about getting women elected. Deb, I am all about it. Uh, the Democratic Party here in Indiana, our state party, uh, just created a woman's caucus. I want every woman in Indiana, Republican, Democrat, get involved. Here's a real opportunity. Uh, I know there have been some criticisms of uh, the, the, the organization that was chosen. It's not strong, I've heard. It's not strong enough. But that's a benefit to Hoosier women because we get to get in and give ourselves a strong voice. And maybe at the national level, uh, we can control that destiny. Women can control Hoosier women's destiny. Uh, and that's, to me, important. Uh, rush that organization. Uh, sign up, get involved, and, you know, uh, breathe some life into it because it's quite clear that people in the state house right now on the Republican side aren't talking to you. They're not talking to women. Look at what's going on with SB1. Here uh, is very soon in the next, what, uh, January 19th? 19th? Yep, yeah, January 19th. SB1 is, is in the courts. And, and here's the thing, and I go back to my more youthful years, Deb. I, you can tell I've got a decade or two uh, behind me. I remember Governor Ann Richards, the late great Governor Ann yes. Richards, Governor of Texas, Texas. Yeah. talking to women and telling them, if you are not at the table, you are on the menu. That's right. And it's no less true today. Decades ago, it was said, it's no less true today. You are on the menu and they are making a very real point of making you the prime course. Right. Women in this, this state are about to be subjugated. Their human rights are being stripped away. Their civil rights are being ignored. This is a real problem. And I hope, I hope that an organization uh, like our Women's Caucus will come to life, that activists yeah. will get involved, that they will talk about this. This is a real problem, but they need to be talking in the rural areas too. They need to be talking to rural women. I don't care, Republican, independent, libertarian, doesn't matter. You are all in the same boat here. So right. these are issues that unite. They're, they're, and there isn't a woman in the state who isn't well within her rights to demand an opportunity to have their voice heard. There is no reason we don't do this. 
So it's an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, I've been in this milieu for a while and it's an interesting dynamic um, that, I mean, we all protested when SB1 was um, passed. I mean, the huge protests, people came out and um, and we worked, you know, really hard. But um, a lot of, you know, a lot of that died down by the time the election came along. And, right. you know, I feel like, you know, talking to all those women, it's like I, you know, I, I looked at all of you, you know, I talked to as many as I could. And did you vote? Did you go, did you go back home and vote? I don't know um, what happened well, there. Um, I, it seemed I, like such a disconnect. And I actually I, talked to young women um, who, you know, said things like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's bad. But, you know, but the price of gas, the price of gas. Right. Uh, and um, and it was it was really shocking to me. And I'm not sure where the communication disconnect is, but well, there definitely know, is one. I, I can give you my perspective on it for what it's worth. Um, everyone has their two cents, I guess. Uh, so SB1 is in the courts. So we aren't really seeing the full effect of SB1 uh, publicly. So, you know, young women can get their contraception. They can get their health care. They can still get an abortion. Yeah, yes. if, they, if, they, if, if they deem it a medical necessity, they can get it. Well, so no, no, right now it's perfectly care. legal right now. And right. In, in this but moment, I, it's perfectly legal to get an abortion with or without a medical If problem. your 10-year-old daughter has been raped and needs an abortion, she can get it in Indiana. Yeah. That's yeah. the point that we need to make here. Yeah. Because once the courts rule, and I have right. no faith that our Republican conservative judges are going to turn this down, and it, 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 women will lose all of this. These are human rights. So you're talking to somebody who absolutely in his heart believes that healthcare is a human right first. I believe that. And you know, you well, can't and keep have... in mind too that on our state Supreme Court, there's only one woman. Correct. So Correct. um, you know, it makes you, you know, as a female, you're like, how does that person, you know, how do these people even get to make this decision? Just like in the legislature, you know, we have still like twenty-five uh, percent uh women serving in our state legislature. Right. And how, you know, as a female, you're like, how do these guys get the, you know, right to make this decision for women? Well, I mean, never having any, you know, that, that's that's the failing of a supermajority. And I don't care. It doesn't matter what party. A supermajority is bad for the country. It's yeah, bad yeah. for the state. Uh, we need that dissent. You know, it used to be that dissent was the most valid, most cherished uh, right that Americans had was the right to dissent. And if you were seen as dissentful now from a supermajority, either party, they come after you. They shut you down. Uh, you know, all they control all the money. Uh, so if you speak out against them, you know, the chances are somebody's going to primary you with dark money. Um and, and and that's the that's that's a big problem because then the the, the stronger you are uh, as a party, the, the more power you hold, and they hold all statewide offices. So right. you know, right. the more power you hold, the less I think connected to the uh, average voter you are. You know, there's a groupthink that takes place, and it, it's a power vacuum, and you know that power generates from the top down in a very uh, regimented way. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's unusual. I, I'm from Tippecanoe County here. And we are, uh, at times, 
a very bipartisan uh, community. So I was just uh, uh, several weeks ago, uh, I attended the uh, mayoral campaign announcement for Erin uh, Easter. She's running for uh, mayor of West Lafayette. Uh, she is a wonderful candidate. She was introduced and endorsed by the sitting Republican mayor, John Dennis. There were Republican county commissioners and their, their, their wives in the community, in, in the audience. Uh, Republicans and Democrats alike were all there to support this. Um, and I think that, you know, that kind of bipartisanship is so rare. Uh, but but it, we tend to here in Tippecanoe pay attention to everyone. So when a good candidate comes along, we will tend to side with that good candidate uh, for the most part, you know, for the most part, uh, yeah. you might get some, you know, coattail riders, but for the most part, uh, this community is pretty well informed and uh, they tend to look differently at each other than uh, some of these others. I go down to, uh, out to some of these other counties and Republicans and Democrats don't talk to each other. They, you know, they give side eye glances and snake eyes to each other and, yeah. you know, whisper foul things under their breath. And um, it's a sad state of being when Americans can disagree and be disagreeable. And that's seen as OK. Uh, yeah. I know, you know in your district, particularly um, Senator Alting um, right. has been fairly you know, moderate as a Republican. Correct. That you're that's you agree. That's yeah. absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, was so, he know, up this year? Uh, he's just was reelected. He was. OK. Um, and there are times when, you know, I might disagree with the position Senator Alting takes. Uh, but I know him well. He and I are friends and we've known each other nearly 30 years. Oh. Uh, and I know him to be a decent soul uh, and thoughtful. Um, and so, you know, we can have our disagreements, but I'm going to shake his hand when I see him. And I wish him and, and his children and his his wife well, uh, always. Um, so, so, you know. he got reelected. Was he um, opposed by a Democrat? No, ran unopposed. Okay, that's what, uh, that's what I was wondering. Because, um, you know, I wondered, um, and he didn't have a, a primary opponent either, or did he? No, no, yeah. but, but that's not uncommon. We had others who, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, um, we, we had some Democratic candidates who ran and won who were opposed, but they, they were caucused in after the primary and never really put on what I would consider for Tippecanoe County, a very serious campaign. Um, so, you know, again, uh, you know, the, the, the candidates that we put up here should know their communities well enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and do you know how Senator Alting voted on S SB1? Against vote against so and that's you know there's there were those also, handful of republicans who did vote against it and there were two also women voted, against, who voted against it so you know i mean kudos to them uh uh i'm sure that wasn't an easy vote for him to have to make walk into his party and basically you know thumbs down on something that they consider you know the crown jewel of their political agenda uh so and I don't you know, know. And it was, so it's interesting that um, he didn't get, you know, he didn't have any repercussions. There were a few other Democrat or Republicans who voted against SB1 um, uh, Ann Vermillion um, mm -hmm. from over, you know, I think Vigo County. Um, she, she's a, a House representative, um, but uh, she ran unopposed as well. So she got reelected. And then well, you um, know, 70 percent of the citizens here in Indiana 
want abortion legal. Yeah, well, you know, they want that. And yeah. and so, you know, what we have here is a minority of uh, those in the Republican Party with a very loud voice and deep pockets who are pushing this agenda. And I think that there were maybe some uh, who did vote for SB1 who in their hearts did not like that idea, um, but are not, you know, politically strong enough to say no. Um, so, you know, it boils down to, is that going to, what's going to come out of the courts? And, you know, again, I tell you, I really have no faith that uh, the courts are going to uh, protect the, the human and civil rights of our women and children. Yeah. Uh, it's, women um... and girls. Um, yeah, I have no. I, also, I have no prediction for this. Um, I I also think if that's the case, there will be a huge backlash. I well, think the you backlash would have thought, <laughs> but but it hadn't been enacted yet. Well, it was it enacted. Didn't. It was in effect for a week um, before right. an injunction was um, ordered. And I will say right. that that injunction, that first injunction that was ordered by the terrific a Republican judge uh, woman right. in Owen County was a very good um, order, very clear and very, uh, you know, she went through many, many steps um, of discussion and analysis about the right. unconstitutionality of the ban. Right. And well, um, let's hope that the Supreme Court takes some education from that. What they're talking about, though, the constitutionality is the state constitution. Right. And it's tied directly to religious freedom, which they wrote into the uh, state constitution. And so it is being challenged, but it's being challenged by uh, Jewish women as well, Jewish and Muslim oh, yeah. women. Right. There's so there's well, there's, so let's just clarify. There's actually two injunctions in place. One of right. them, the first one um, that was issued by the Republican woman uh, judge in Owen County, only um, analyzed the ban as to its constitutionality under um, the state constitutions, right. of guarantee of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to all people right. in Indiana. The second injunction um, issued was um, based on the RIFRA, the Re uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, um, which um, does not allow Indiana to pass a law that infringes on uh, your uh, religious beliefs. And so those that's the that's the case where I believe there are uh, four or five um, women uh, plaintiffs. One was Jewish. One was um, uh, Universal Unitarian. Unitarian. One yes. was Episcopalian. Um, and another one is, um, uh, I don't, I don't want to say Satanistic, but uh, <laughs> something like that. Anyway, but so, so, and they all each have their own um, position. And I thought, you know, they did a good job, or the ACLU really, and Falk, that attorney at ACLU, really did a good job helping them, um, uh, you know, uh, mold their positions and, and to really clarify uh, and articulate their religious uh, problems with this. Um, and they, you know, said in the, uh, the, the petition for injunction, um, you know, they are not uh, having sex with their husbands because of the fear that they may have to violate their religious uh, tenants um, and uh, and have a, 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 you know, carry a, a pregnancy to term pregnancy when they would not otherwise uh, under the using their own religious beliefs. Right. So, um, well, and, so and, those are two know, very similar claims, and um, and it'll be really interesting to hear this argument. That's, I mean, it'll be just I, so interesting to hear these arguments I, because they are. I, I believe they're combining them. Um, well, I, I think you know, there's also a demographic that really isn't 
so it's seldom mentioned in this conversation, and that is those who hold no religious belief, agnostics, are now being uh, subjected to somebody else's uh, religious beliefs in, enacted in law. And, right. you know, we have civil law, and that is about all of us and not just some of us. You know, and I, I'm, I'm Roman Catholic. I deeply respect uh, anyone who says I will never have an abortion, and God willing, uh, they will never be put in that position. But, you know, I've also spoken with women, Roman Catholic women, who required a DNC. And, you know, for legitimate medical reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to see uh, that right uh, taken away. I think a woman and her doctor can arrive at uh, the conclusions they need to uh, proceed medically in whatever direction. Um, I, I've always been a promoter of life. And, you know, we lost two children uh, in just 30 months. And, and I, I know the burden that is born when you contemplate the life you had and it's gone. So I understand the deep uh, emotional and literally uh, assault on faith that that can have. Um, but I think that is a cross that is given to all of us individually and we pick it up or we don't. And that is a choice given to us also by God. So you know, free will, uh, the right to sin. And I don't need my religion legislated into law to live by it. I will live by it. But if you're not Catholic, then don't live by it. Go live by some other form of uh, social uh, engagement, I, whatever it is. Absolutely. So, you know, but I, I think once they enact SB1 and it, it is fully enacted and uh, a, a sleeping tiger, if you will, is going to wake up. Um, so, you know, in the meantime, there are other issues facing women that also we should be addressing. We absolutely. should absolutely. What good is it to say you can't get an abortion in a rural community where women can't even get health care? Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is to me the ultimate yeah. irony. Uh, you know, opportunities in small business and in corporate America might be getting better, uh, but you're still getting 75 cents on the dollar that a man gets. Yeah. Um, Indiana has but, actually gone backwards in pay equity. Why not? That seems to be, you know, the trend with our steakhouse. Uh, two steps back, one step sideways. Right. <laughs> uh, right. You know, so I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think there's, there's opportunities to speak beyond just uh, the right to choose. How about the right to have health care, the right to access affordable education? Let's talk about that. It kills me when someone my age says, well, when I went to school, I worked a full-time job and, you know, I, I took the summer off and then I, and these right. kids are, you know, coming out of school, $60,000, $70,000 in debt. That's just for a bachelor's degree. And then going on, and I will tell you, Deb, uh, when Patrick was at Riley, I spoke with a young physician, a young woman, and I say young, she was 30 years old, yeah. uh, practicing to be a, a genetic uh, scientist, a therapist. Uh, she was out to kill cancer. And she was telling me, Joe, before I'm done with my education, I will have a million dollars invested in it. And oh. I will be well into my 30s. I think she was looking at three, maybe four more years to attain that goal. 
And, and, you know, to me, we should be investing in that young woman. Right. Doctors, scientists, engineers, fields that we need. Educators, don't get me started on paying teachers. You know, uh, I coach youth basketball and my hair went gray. So I can't imagine what, you know, these these educators are up against with 30 kids in a classroom all day long. God bless yeah. them for that. Well, probably. Point. I think most classrooms now are like 40, 40 kids. Right. Why not? Because there's a huge teacher shortage. Again, a step back. You know, yeah. we're watching rural schools close down, mm -hmm. uh, not because they don't have the student population, but because the way the state has organized uh, funding for schools. The bigger the school, the more the kids, the more money you get. And at the end of that, tail end of that, are our rural schools. Uh, so we have kids in rural communities who are on school buses two and a half hours each way. Five right. hours a day on a school bus. No internet, mind you, so no homework gets done. Teachers are telling me, uh, Joe, we, we have to have, the kids have to get their homework done before they leave at the end of the day or I have to a lot of time in the morning for them because they don't have internet. We watched and this, this, I mean, uh, the shutdown occurred and in the more urban and suburban areas, they said, well, we're going to go to e-learning and everybody mm -hmm. talked about e-learning, but we had school systems out there that had no internet. Parents mm -hmm. were going to the local library, which was shut down or the local McDonald's at Burger King somewhere where they could get internet. All of it was closed. These kids couldn't get it. There was no e-learning opportunity for rural children. Tell me that's not a real issue for rural moms who value a good education, who want their children to have the same opportunities as a, a, a child in a more urban and suburban area. Uh, because I was talking about this, actually. I was talking to a, a parent down in Greencastle who lived out in rural Putnam County who was saying, you know, I bring my children in to McDonald's on a nightly basis uh, so they can do their homework. Now, I was sharing this story up in Cass County in Logansport. Had a mom up there tell me, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one having to do that. And, you know, but this is a common theme. And Democrats don't even acknowledge that that is a real problem that we should be out there addressing equal access to quality education. So, you know, there's so many issues out there that, you know, men clearly aren't prepared to take on. And I'm sure as God hoping women are, <laughs> you know, well, somebody's got to do give it. Give us a chance, you know, uh, <laughs> give us a chance. I'm th I think we could straighten out a lot of this. But um, I mean, it is true that, you know, broadband has been a, a terrible issue. I mean, it was one of Holcomb's promises. I don't know what, three or four years ago. Well, my um, friend and it has Ron not Alting. happened. Uh, My you friend know, Ron Alting, the first time he ran for office was on bringing internet to rural, his rural district. How yeah. many decades ago was that? Right. Uh, I think, you know, Republicans are not willing uh, on this topic, you know, what it will take is, you know, the government and the legislature, you know, you know directing uh, uh, internet uh, broadband companies to oh. go there. If you want to, you know, if you want to make money in our state, we're going to require you to provide access to. Oh, absolutely. But absolutely. You know, they're just not willing. Republicans are not willing to say that to uh, to industry because industry gives all their money to them. Correct. You know? Correct. I mean, it, it it's a it's a, a almost a vicious circle. They want the money, but they got to they got to co they got to uh, coexist with them 
And so they let the terms be negotiated uh, by the businesses here. And, and we hear it. I mean, we just elected um, uh, a gentleman over here in the 41st district, Mark Genda, a uh, small businessman. He owns some funeral homes and uh, Republican. And I watched him in a forum with the other Republican candidates running for that office. And his biggest concern was how do we get uh, people back in the workforce? What are we going to, and he was talking about older people and mm -hmm. he was talking about, you know, we got to cut their social security. We got to cut Medicaid, whatever it takes to make them go back to work. This is, this is the agenda of the right. And it's from Mark Genda in Clinton County to uh, Rick Scott in the United States Senate, who is all about, we're going to kill. Joe, you froze. Joe, you froze. Oh no! About came out of the Social Security fund. Mm -hmm. It it came out of Social Security, and he's not talking about paying it back. Americans paid into that. I've been paying into Social Security since I was fourteen years old, and I'm not going to let Rick Scott, as a budgetary issue, screw me or any other American. You know, there's other ways. How about repaying? The social security how about re recreating the social security trust and putting that money in and locking congress away from it you know if social security today were fully funded we we'd be fully funded on it clear through the middle of the next century and 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 we we ignore it you know and, and i'm not blaming republicans here democrats have rated social security as well and i expect our federal government to step up and pay us back they're not going to eliminate it, but, but, right. you know, well, it's so this whole goal that you talk of, of about, you know, uh, from Republicans and right wingers um, who say, you know, people need to get back to work. Um, and, you know, what they mean is we need people to take these low paying jobs. Well, uh, yeah. Right. And, race to the bottom, you know, right, right to work. And and I will tell you that at the time that he was saying that our employment rate here in Indiana was equal to that of 2018 before the shutdown. So, so, you know, I mean, it wasn't like Hoosiers weren't going back to work. We're Midwesterners. Midwesterners go to work. Yes. Um, there's no question about it. Uh, and the idea that, you know, uh, they won't go to work for a business because they're not getting paid enough. Well, guess what? You know, pay them more. It's not like you aren't posting yeah. Remarkable yeah. profits. Well, and everybody recognizes, even the State Chamber of Commerce, even the Farm Bureau recognizes that the number one impediment is child care. And, sure. um, and the state is not willing to do anything. It is expensive. Child care is expensive. And if, you know, uh, but, you know, states do it. Illinois has been funding public pre-K for 40 years, more than 40 years. Um, and other states do this fine. And, you know, we will have to do it. There's just no way around this. Um, you know, and if you want women to take the low-paying low jobs, you know, and you don't want to see kids sitting in cars, uh, outside women's jobs for eight hours, then, you know, somebody's going to have to address this. I, I agree. It, it, but these are never issues that will come to the table no. under a Republican supermajority. Uh, yeah. They just simply won't. Uh, they will create studies, Deb. They just gave us one. You know, yeah. I, you don't need to create a new study because data is out there. And, and, you know, it's ignored. Oh, well, we'll just create a study and that kicks the can down the road and People will stop forgetting about it as soon as, 
you know, the next playoff game comes or the next big Hollywood scam, whatever it is, yeah. and we'll forget about it. And that's yep. what happens. I know Eric Holcomb uh, in 20 had made this big comment about we've been working to improve uh, the maternal mortality rate. We we're, we we are 0.19% better now than we were in 1900, 120 years earlier, and we are 0.19% better. So, and, you know, I'm thinking, well, let's have a parade on that. You know, how, yeah. how sad. I mean, the amount you know, of money uh, they would spend on, you know, another study that would give them recommendations that they wouldn't follow anyway, um, could be used to really advance, you know, the health of women giving birth. So, but well, we're running out of time. So, Joe, I want to, I want to move along and I want to, sure. I want to talk about a little bit, um, you know, where can people go from here? This is a moment, um, you know, the crushing defeats that we have had as Democrats in Indiana over the last, you know, several cycles now. Um, has really made everything just look so sad for Democrats. But, you know, I would like to propose this um, this new idea. That is that um, because of all of this uh, terrible uh, outcome um, and Democratic people in the party are just, you know, kind of exhausted and uh, a kind of, you know, they're out of they're out of gas. Um, now, I would say um this is an opportunity for people to go into those local democratic parties and step into some leadership roles um, and Absolutely. take on your issues. Um, we need new legs um, in, you know, in the democratic party uh, because people are just, you know, so too many people, like you say, a lot of the democratic parties and in, in, in rural counties in particular are just broken. And right. we need people who are, um, are inspired by these crazy issues that Republicans refuse to address um, that, you know, just and the crazy extremism. And so now is the opportunity. Now is time for someone who cares about women, someone who cares about children or public education or public health um, or, you know, constitutional rights to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Um, to go to their Democratic Party organization in their county, and if they see people who seem demoralized and um, uh, and not very active, this is your chance to go in there and step up the game for local so, Democratic so, Party. You know the the the, the real challenge is uh, be, you're you're right. Um, we need to create a presence. Uh, the fourth congressional district is comprised of sixteen counties. And we have county chairs that don't know each other, have never met each other. We are a county, we are a district that for years uh, operated very loosely. Every county kind of did their own thing. Uh, so there was no concerted effort to unite us to determine what issues were out there that we should be addressing. Uh, and it has hurt us. And so we have begun now uh, as a district, the process of creating a number of different committees uh, for the purpose of outreach. And every one of them have their own specific goals. And we're going to work and coordinate to make those goals uh, transpire to, to achieve our objectives. This has not been done for a long time. It was a hard sell. Deb, it was a hard sell to run on change. Uh this isn't. This wasn't the first time uh, I I ran to be a district chair. Uh, it's the second. 
the first time uh, I was defeated because honestly, change is scary. Hoosiers are like hobbits. We don't like change, uh, but change is necessary. Um, and then we went through, uh, we got into September of, of 2022. Um, and I think a number of our chairs just woke up and realized that uh, we're not doing it right. And we're never going to do it right if we don't alter what we're, what, uh, how we function. Um, so we're in that process here, reinventing ourselves. Um, now, I have been told by those that would know <laughs> that the plan that I have laid in place that Lita Rouser, my vice chair, uh, and currently uh, the chair of, of uh, the Democratic Party in Cass County, we have been working on this plan for a long time, she and I. And um, I'm told that it would, this is a 15 year plan. <laughs> but I'm 62, I don't have 15 years. And I'm not leaving here without these goals being accomplished. I want them done. Um, so my goal is 2026. By 2026, I would love to see a 60% turnout among Democrats here in the district. In, a midterm. uh, in the midterms. In a midterms. 2026. Um, so, you know, that's our challenge. And the way we do that is community engagement by being out there, by knocking on doors, uh, my friend Dave Sanders ran uh, in this last cycle uh, for a state Senate seat, District 23. It originates in West Lafayette and runs all the way down through, uh, I believe, uh, Warren Fountain uh, and North, uh, uh, pardon me, uh, is it Sullivan County there, Clinton, Indiana? I forget. I, it's, a, it's a large district, a little piece of Montgomery. And he knocked on a door and a woman answered, and he introduced himself and she nearly started crying. And she said, uh, I've been waiting a long time for a Democrat to knock on my door. Waiting. They're waiting out there in the rural areas and no one's talking to them. No one's reaching out. We need to be engaged. We need to find these Democrats. Um, one of the things, you know, I would like to see our candidates announce much earlier. If you're going to run for a state's uh, rep seat, get out there this year. Get out here in January, work with the other candidates who are on a ballot, uh, understand campaigns, broaden your outreach, uh, get to know these everybody, get to know everyone. Um, you will learn a great deal from it and it will better prepare you to be a candidate in the district you've chosen. Um, JD well, and I want to remind people too, this is, you know, this is not a no election year. Uh, these are the municipal races this year. So, um, you know, find your city council, uh, you know, find them and run for those seats. Uh, we well, need people on city councils, on mayors, city clerks. Um, correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and we're doing that. I mean, the county chairs are working on that in a, in a very big way. Um, right. We struggle in some counties finding candidates, uh, and and that's that's a real problem uh, for me. That we have qualified Democrats out there. Some of them won't run simply because they don't believe they can win, or right. they've run once, taken a trouncing, and don't want to come back and, and drink from that well. And I understand that, uh, but I think a part of lessening that whole thing is to uh, get involved early. 
Don't wait until it's May now. I mean, here we are in January. Uh, people will start filing very soon, primaries in May. We should have had our candidates for the municipals out last year, working with the, the campaigns that were going on. We need to get them out. We need to train them up. Uh, literally, they need to learn how to glad hand, how to talk to people, how to listen to what they're being told. You know, um, I, so I had a boss when I was, uh, uh, before I retired, he was a great boss, but he used to say, um, the hardest part about leadership is listening, focusing on the message and not the messenger. And um, and it's so true. I, I was speaking with a local militia, a group of uh, militiamen. You know, they were clad in their paramilitary stuff, guns. And and uh, I was talking about uh, the Jake Laird laws here in Indiana, uh, the red flag laws we have. Oh, and, right. and how they came about, um, Officer Jake Laird. Uh, now, the, those red flag laws were literally created uh, under then-Governor Mitch Daniels and a Republican-majority state house. There wasn't Democrats. We didn't create this, and we supported it, but it came. The, 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 the Republicans here under Mitch Daniels uh, literally orchestrated the, the red flag laws we have. Now, you talk about nationalizing those laws, and Indiana's was actually put up as a model, and the same people will tell you, oh, you're going to take my guns. So it's just this irony. Um, I, but I spoke about the fact that 80% uh, of the women who are murdered in this country are murdered by men they know, family members. They're not strangers, and they're typically murdered in a domestic dispute where there is a gun in the home. So right. women, you know, are being murdered. And, and I was talking to these guys about, you know, women want you to talk about that. They want you to address that. And, you know, and these guys, they understood that that dilemma. Um, I it kind of rocked them a little bit. Um, but what we find most often, Deb, is um, they're pro-2A. We're anti-2A. We would rather stand across the street and shout filthy epithets at each other then actually sit down over a cup of coffee and have a damn conversation. And I don't know how we got there, but we got to dig our way out of this hole. You know, we're supposed to be the shining light of democracy around the world. And we have allowed ourselves to become so polarized that we can't even bring ourselves to come together as families. How insane is that? Now, I, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm the youngest of eight. I have a pro-Trumper, I have a socialist, you know, I, I have a, a libertarian, an anarchist, we're all there. And when we get together and have these conversations, we have fun at our each other's expense, but we love each other. And the conversation is funny, it is fun, and at times everyone has a poignant point to make. Right. So nobody's right all the time. Uh but when you sit and listen like this in an environment like that, you get an opportunity to learn, you know, and we 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 shun it. We absolutely shun any opportunity to explore a boundary. And that's right and left. And it's just slays me that we can't even come together and just have a conversation. And, and I think, you know, the art of politics was the, the willingness to talk to everyone 
and compromise. You know, we, we, we've lost the willingness to compromise. And, it, you know, I forget who it was that said, you know, compromise is the art of politics. Uh, nobody gets everything they want, but everybody can get something. And we used to be satisfied with that. And, and it, we no longer are. Well, and, I think, though, Joe, I think we have a, you know, a good example in Joe Biden. Um, he has um, compromised you oh, know, yeah. a lot and has been very successful at getting legislation passed. I mean, Correct. a shocking amount of legislation has been passed um, in the last two years that has really addressed the concerns of people everywhere, including Indiana. So um, right. so I think right. that, that is a good example. And 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 as a Democrat, as a, you know, a very um, strident environmentalist, as a feminist, you know, we haven't gotten everything we well, want, for sure. I, look, you but know, we, Todd but Young, we're headed down the road. We've got a little bit further down the road. And that's Todd Young uh, recently voted in favor of the Defense of Marriage Act. And there are Republican counties around the state who are censuring him for his vote. Right. Um and, it, you know, uh, far too often, again, uh, we see our elected officials just seem to get corralled into you will do this or we will fire you kind of a thing. And, you know, when you when you elect somebody, you would like to think that they are thoughtful, insightful people. Mm -hmm. that we all have their boundaries. We won't cross this, but we will talk about that. Finding areas right. where we can work together. And that happens a lot more at the community level, uh, truly. Um, and I point to Martinsville. You recently had my friend Tom Wallace on. And God help that poor community and what's going on down there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but when you look at the people who are involved, politics isn't at the center. Their health and well-being are. Why? Because toxic water doesn't care if you're a Republican doesn't care about your religion, your politics, your income. It is poisonous. And they know they have those cancer clusters down there. They know that. So, you know, when we find those issues at the community level that will unite us, that's where we have to work the hardest, regardless of our, our political uh, standings. Um, and so, you know, when I talk about engagement, it doesn't have to be political. Join a group that picks up trash in areas or, you know, helps transitional housing, helps the homeless. So some sort of civic engagement that will bring you in contact with your greater community. Um, and I think, you know, I think a really good, um, you know, tagline on to that is you will find good Democrats doing great things for communities and you'll find some good Republicans doing good oh, things for the people. Absolutely. Um, and, Absolutely. Um, and it's unfortunate that there are, you know, a number of Republicans who just have no interest in doing that. But there are well, some you know, good Republicans out there. And we, um, we, and there are a great many great. Um, Victoria Sparks recently, you know, we lost uh, uh, Victoria uh, Sparks up north uh, in the traffic accident. Please help me there. Oh, no. Jackie Wilorski. Thank, thank you. Jackie yeah, Wilorski. Yeah. God bless. I was like, did I miss fam. something? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's me. It's great hair. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. uh, but we lost her and she did a great deal of work uh, uh, for autism and oh, autistic right. children here. And, and you know, that's also a mark of a good person is they don't out, they're not out there parading the, the good work they're doing. 
They just do it to get it done. And the mm -hmm. reputation is solidified. Um, and I, I apologize for uh, misrepresenting her name because uh, she did such good work and she mm -hmm. was so well recognized. And, uh, you know, families with autistic uh, family members, children here in Indiana lost a great advocate. Really uh, interesting. So, you know, um, I know a number of Republicans. They do charitable works. They just don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, we have a foundation and, you know, we've had times when I needed a, to help a family and I called somebody and said, I need a thousand dollars. How how can I get this family a thousand dollars? And the money comes, you know, because we're all we're Hoosiers and we help each other. Yeah. I mean, that's a character trait that's known around the country. You know, your car breaks down in Indiana, you're going to get help. Um, uh, and, and you know, we prove it all the time. We just don't acknowledge it. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a positive person. I believe in the best of everyone. And I believe when we work for the best, uh, we bring that out in people. And, you know, um, I see it. I, I just think we need to do a better job of engaging. And that's where my district is headed. That's uh, as awesome. long as I'm in charge. Well, that's great. Engaged. So we're, we're, we're like almost out of time. Um, uh -huh. and, but, um, but that is wonderful now to close on, you know, uh, we would be great to see hope in the fourth congressional district in Indiana. It's really kind of central West, I guess, is right. uh, designated in the state. Um, and, uh, and we do need so much work there and so much help. And, uh, I just, uh, you know, I'm grateful that you're there doing all this work because they really need you over there. Thank you. Uh, there's a lot of people there here doing this work. A lot of them, I, I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and ask for help from Democrats. Uh, check back in with us in a couple of years and see where we are. Uh, hopefully I will have the kind of news that I think we all want to hear. Great. Great. Thank you for all the right. opportunity. Well, thank you so much. That. Yes. Thank you, Joe, for joining me. This is really, has been fun. It's been fun chatting with you. All right. Take care.